Welcome to the pod, TK, founder and CEO of Enway, ladies and gentlemen, and OMG, the amazing, awesome possum, magical mayhem. I saw the word mayhem a lot in the launch of your new game, the Rec League. Welcome. Thank you. Mayhem, groundbreaking, innovative, a lot of, a lot of words. <laughs> and, and you know what? There's an old expression that it ain't bragging if you can do it. And I think this game is going to put a flag in the megaverse. I like you also use the word megaverse in it's kind of a mix of metaverse and the multiverse and the hugeness that will be the rec league. So welcome. Tell us just a little bit about your background and then let's dive deep into the rec league, please. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm a game developer. I've been doing game development for like 20 years now. Started at Samsung Electronics where I was heading their new mobile game development, mobile game platform, where we had a new smartphone that was able to run 3D games. And this was like 2002, a long time ago, like 21 years ago. That's how I got into the game industry. I was sourcing games, helping develop mobile games for Samsung. And then I joined uh, a company called Real Time World uh, in UK, uh, which was founded by Dave Jones, who created Lemmings and, and Grand Theft Auto. It was his new startup. Um, I was trying to get content from him, and he convinced me to join him. So I ended up going over to, to his company. Um, helped raise uh, a lot of money there uh, as an early employee. Um, I basically told him, hey, like you should check out Silicon Valley and, and raise money there. So we raised around $30 million for real-time worlds. Ended up developing games like APV, which is like an online version of Grand Theft Auto, and also this new project called MySpace, which was basically taking like a real-world map data and recreating into a 3D environment that could be used as a platform for, for game development. So that was a fun project. Um, after that, I started my own company called Nurian Software, which is how I got into kind of the whole game development and publishing myself. And again, raised around $25 million for that from VCs uh, here in Silicon Valley. For that one, I was really into kind of social virtual world. So noticed that there weren't any kind of music-based games out there. It was like a music dance-based MMO called MSTAR, which we launched in 2008. And that was um, pretty well still a, a game that's generating revenue today. Netmarble ended up acquiring that company. And after Afternoon Software, I started a company called Pixelberry. And then Enway was founded about 11 years ago. So I've been doing it for a while. Wow, what an amazing ride. Like, as we talked about before, you are covered in scabs and calluses and scar tissue like armor that has prepared you for this new battle, this new paradigm that is Web3. And you are about to go live with Rec League and peel back some of that digital magic for us, please. Kind of thinking behind it and all of the amazing innovations that you've brought to the four built on all of that experience that you have over the years. Yeah. Maybe I can start with how I started 
Enway, which leads well into how we ended up developing Red League. So with Enway, when I started the company back in 2011, that was when like all these social gaming companies and new startups were taking games that previously only existed in consoles and PC and was basically bringing into these new emerging platforms like browsers, smart TVs, and, and mobile was taken off at that time. And most of those games were casual games and, and games that were single player or asynchronous games. And the type of games that, that I really loved were competitive multiplayer games, games like fighting games or MOBA, action RPGs. So the goal for Enway was to bring those type of games over to these kind of emerging platforms at the time. And that was really difficult because there were all these different computing devices that do calculations differently. And there were no kind of off-the-shelf technologies or software that we could license or use. We had to develop everything ourselves to make sure that there's no, no latency, there's no desync issues. By desync issues, I mean like two devices like diverging. You know, you can't have a situation when you and I are playing and it says, I want, and it says, do you want, like if there's, it goes down to, to completely different, um, different kind of uh, scenarios, then it doesn't work, right? So, you know, these things issues had to, had to be solved. Every device has different kind of, you know, networking environments. So making sure that we have things like rollback netcode that makes it super smooth and easy for people to be able to play despite different networking conditions. So yeah, that was really difficult, but we, we ended up over the years making our own solutions to kind of make sure that those things are solved. They started with a game called Corona Blade, which at the beginning was an action RPG game that was on a browser and smart TV. Um, and then we kind of took that over to run the mobile. That's when mobile games were taken off. I think that was like 2015. Um, Marvel and NetEast uh, published those in, in Asia. That was the first action RPG game with real-time PvP that ran on mobile and browsers. And that game was pretty successful. And then we we're like, hey, like this PvP, real-time PvP thing that we, we built on Chrono Blade, let's maybe really leverage that. So we built a game called Power Rangers Legacy Wars, which was PvP only. The game didn't have any single player component. It was only PvP. And back then, this was this on 16, people were like, if you make a game that's PvP only, the game will die instantly. There were no games like Clash Royale back then. And so there was no examples, but we're like, hey, you want to try this? Because it's something that we want to play. And so we launched Power Rangers Legacy Wars and Power Rangers IP was also like taking off at the time because we're having a resurgence because there was a movie coming out from Lionsgate at that time. The movie launched in March 2017. So we got a, a bit of a bump, a bump from that as well. But man, like when we launched that game, our, our expectation was maybe 5 million downloads for the life of the game. But we ended up getting 6 million downloads over the weekend. And then we've had like over like 90 million downloads over the last six, six years. So like all that knowledge kind of accumulated into building Rec League, where, you know, Rec League is also a game that is PvP only, mobile, PC, and Mac crossplay. We'll probably end up going over to consoles as well later on. So all those decent issues, latency issues, all that stuff, it's already solved from our previous games, like the Power Rangers game. And we know how to scale as well because we hit some really large numbers. Power Rangers Legacy Wars at one time had 2 million DAU um, and, and over 500,000 concurrency. So we, we know how to scale on our backend. 
we had players from all over the world for that game. So we have geo-distributed geo servers that allow you to mass make in different regions. It could be in Singapore, it could be in Canada, whatever, and we can still mass make and, and play no problem. Um, yeah, and then we also really kind of honed our um, skills in developing like combo systems and combat systems that, that work really well. We have our own graph systems that allow designers to really kind of design um, the combat systems uh, that that is loved by the uh, the fighting game community. Really, can you peel that back a little bit? Yeah. So when you play fighting games, what's important is that you need to be able to chain combos, right? So this can't just be a button mashing game. It has to have some strategy. So you do a certain move that, like maybe an uppercut that puts the guy up in the air, and when the person in the air, you can do another move that knocks the person back. And then if the other fighter is like lying on the floor, you could do like a laser blast. You know, the moves that connect, right? So those are what makes the fighting games fun. And we have our own design tools that allow you to kind of design a lot of fun combos that could go in the game. And so, yeah, we have a lot of experience with the fighting game community and what makes them tick and what makes the fighting game like fun to play. That's also one of the reasons why I think we're getting a lot of comments from people who have been playtesting regularly so far that, wow, this game is like super fun to play. Right. That's because we specialize in fighting games. We've been in fighting games for a long time. You know, not only Power Rangers Legacy Wars, but also our second game, Power Rangers Battle for the Grid. Uh, we've also done WWE, WWE Undefeated, which was a, was a fighting game in the WWE uh, character of uh, superstars. Um, so we've done um, a lot of fighting games. After we've done uh, a few of those fighting games, uh, one thing that we also wanted to try because our previous fighting games were also kind of focused on a single IP, right? Whether it's Power Rangers, WWE, that um, that kind of limits us from the type of integrations that we can do with other IPs. So we had this idea of like, hey, what if we make a game like Super Smash Brothers, where there's whole sorts of different IPs can coexist, and what if we can create a lore that allows those different type of IPs or different worlds to come together? And then what if we can make a fighting game that is more of a game as a platform where we can continue to add different IPs over time so that we can continuously just add different type of artwork, different characters you know, over a long period of time. So that's what we're trying to do with Rec League as well. So our season one partner is Giga Labs. So we have four of their major collections, Board Ape Yacht Club, a Mutant Ape Yacht Club, a Board Ape Kennel Club, and the other side, Koda. All four of them are other going side, in. Yeah. Yeah, they're all going in. Their main characters like Curtis from Board Ape and Jimmy and, and Gary from Kennel and Blue from other side. They're all coming into the story as extended universes. Season two, we may have another partner. And season three, we may even bring in some of two, two partners in there as well. So the game will just continuously evolve over time. So that was something we wanted to try. Another thing that we wanted to try from our experience was like, our, all the previous games that we've done or we've played in the fighting game genre, there's like a set roster, right? You go in and you, you kind of select a character from a given roster. Like in Street Fighter, I can select Ryu and you can select Chun-Li. And we're fighting, we're always selecting from a, a limited pool. And we thought, what if we create a game where these fighters are user-generated, right? Then every time you play, you don't know who you're going to meet and there could be new content every time you play. And the... The whole setup with mechs is perfect for that, right? Because you can create mechs with different parts. 
Uh, we want to make it easy to create as well, like no knowledge required, just putting different parts together. So 10 different parts put together create some mech in Reg League. And even with the season one content, we have a lot, we have so many uh, parts that the, the combinations is like one point, over 1.5 quadrillion. So, you know, there's going to be so many. Yeah. Wow. Can, can we, can we stop there again? Yeah. 1.5 quadrillion. I think, I think 1.5 million and then a billion. Let's go to quadrillion. That's extraordinary. That's an endless supply of combinations and fun. Yeah. So you don't really need any kind of skills or you don't have to be an artist or anything. You're just putting 10 different parts together. It's just that there's so many different type of combinations that it's going to feel unique. Um, and the reason I think this is powerful is because a lot of people have this fantasy when they were kids of putting together, because we all build robots, right? Yes, we yes. All build robots and we love putting, building a robot. And they were just like, you know, figures, but we always dream like, what if these robot that I built can fight and fight with other, other robots my friends built, right? So that was like a big fantasy. There's something really inherently cool about like competing with something you build, even as an adult too, right? Like building together a car or something that feels really cool. And you're bringing a different tire, different suspension, different like engine. And there's a show called Tex-Mex on Netflix where, you know, people in a garage yes. are building different cars, you know, go out and buy different parts from Mexico and then come back to the U.S. and put them together. And then you sell it, right? There's something that like human beings, maybe as like foragers, I know before we were farmers, something about going out and getting something, putting things together. <laughs> but there's nothing really cool about it that feels good about it. So that's the thing that we want to achieve directly. Let's make sure that all these fighters are user-generated, right? Um, that could provide a different experience. And then with the addition of a three technology, not only did you create it, but you also own it, right? So like it's almost like putting together a mech in real life. You put the parts together. Yeah. Which, but it's also your mech and you're fighting other owners. Tell, tell the listeners about how it actually works, the mechanics of selecting. And I, I was fascinated by that. Yeah. So we actually have a mint by mint. We're selling these boxes. So we have two different types of boxes. One is a majestic box. Another one is a booster box. And the way this is designed is kind of similar to like Pokemon cards or Magic the Gathering. So the so majestic box has 10 different parts the 10 exact parts that you need to build a mech. So like one head, one chest, one arm, like one neck, one antenna, one kneecap, one shoulder pad, you know, exact 10 parts. So if you buy a majestic box, then you have all the parts you need to make one mech, right? However, the whole point is to customize, right? Because if you just have 10 parts, you don't have any room for customization. That's why we have booster boxes that contain five random parts. So if you buy at least Majestic and a booster, then you have 15 parts, right? That you can kind of play around. Hopefully people are able to buy multiple Majestic box and booster box. So you have like hundred parts to play around with, but you're basically trying different combinations, see how it plays. And you can just assemble it back into parts. Maybe swap out an arm here with a different tail or a different leg and try it out. Because depending on what parts you use to develop, to assemble the mech, the mech will play completely different, right? You'll have different set of base attacks. And that means, you know, you'll have different attacks that, that chain differently as, com in, in, as combos. You have a different ultra, which is like a, a special attack. Um, you will have different defense capabilities. 
it will move differently. And then you have like different energy systems. Some people will only have like 10 energy or you have 12, like depending on what part you use. Regeneration of the energy will also be different. The defense generation, like, so depending on what parts, how you put it together, it will play differently. I think a lot of people, there's gonna be a lot of theory crafting because there are so many different combinations. With 1.4 quadrant companies, we can't try them all, right? So we're gonna kind of leave it to the community to figure out what, figure out the recipe that works the best, right? And people will figure that out through testing and playing. Um, and you have a large enough community, then you will have a whole bunch of things that then we never expected. So the community will figure it out. There's a lot of fun in that. Fantastic. Wow, there is so much to dive deep into that. I love your origin story where you're bridging these different platforms and people are saying, oh, that's not really, that's not really doable. You have these very powerful PC console platforms and you have these like weak mobile platforms and you're trying to glue that together. That's silly. That's never going to work. And oh, PVP only. That's silly. That's never going to work. Um, and then you chip away and you experiment and you tinker and then you make both of those things hum. I mean, 90 million downloads for that Power Rangers game. You validated that. And as a matter of fact, that PVP paradigm is like, you've really proved that out. Yeah, we were like, what? PVP only? In every game you're playing online with somebody else on the mobile environment where people have all sorts of like connection issues. And some people have Wi-Fi, some people have, you know, 3G or some people have, I don't know, like, you know, 4G. Uh, and there's packet losses happening. Um, yeah, people were at the beginning, they're like, there's no way that's going to work. Um, no way. Yeah, there was like no way. Not not N-way. No, N-way stands for no way. No way it's going to work, right? Like, but no here's way. the the. The exact parallels, right? These different platforms. Now you have web two, web three, and you also have like on-chain, off-chain, those mechanics too. Oh, on-chain is slow and it's expensive. It's dumb. It's never going to work. And oh, bridging web two and web three, like that's never going to work either. Like N-Way stands for no way again, but I, I would bet my money on you guys to be able to chip away at all of those burrs and edges and you know rough parts and make that into a smooth ball bearing that's just people are going to look back and go oh of course of course you're doing stuff that's like bridging web 2 and web 3 and oh of course like why would you play a game if your core assets you don't own them on chain otherwise what do you what are you doing right yeah we have a lot of um similarities and parallels uh with this project as well uh, you know, there are a lot, a lot of naysayers in Web3 and there are a lot of people who are like, fighting game on Web3, I'm not sure about that, right? But I really truly believe that um, Web3 is inherently competitive, you know, minting experiences, skill-based minting, and look at things like Zuki Dash. Uh, people are putting their assets, their skills, strategy, and some luck to, to, um, to kind of maximize their outcome. So I think fighting games actually fit really well with Web3. Um, especially if you allow people to create their own fighters and can compete with other owners. So we're basically taking this approach where the Web3 version of the game uh, is really ta tailored towards eSports. E so it's all about creating a mech or creating a fleet of mechs that can really um, perform well in, in battle, in live battle with other people. Um, and we'll have all sorts of game events, different types of tournaments um, with on-chain rewards on the line so that people 
from all over the world can compete um, in these live events and then be able to win um, you know, different type of rewards uh, that have real value in them. Um, and so that, you know, kind of like in real world sports, you go through these tournaments, pro players are able to go through these tournaments and do a, like a earning every season um, in reg league, you know, three sports, regardless of where you live, you should be able to do that. That's fantastic. And my, my sons are really into both online, but also offline magic, the gathering. And, you know, that's a different kind of esports in a way because people get these elite cards and they're, they have these elite skills and they're able to play at a different level. And I love how you've kind of blended that together. But in some ways, you're not waiting for the packs to come out. You're actually able to combine things yourself and be a craftsman and to uh, create something that's going to give you a competitive advantage and then add your skills and experience on top of that. It's really fascinating what that can unlock. And it really speaks to the core of what Web3 is about this sort of like producer, creator slash consumer and shareholder uh, triumvirate that's all together. And now I can create something and then also, you know, consume it and then also own it and be able to, to yield it. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I'm thinking with Web3 uh, uh, Esports, um, again, I think there could be a lot of parallels from real world sporting events. Um, similar to, let's say, like, you know, F1 racing, right? There are, there are the drivers, but there are people who build the cars. Every team builds their own cars. And there are people who own the cars. So there could be different stakeholders that are competing together and they share in the rewards. I think similar thing can happen in, in, in the three uh, esports where um, owners and players can kind of compete together. And there could be people who own arenas and there could be multiple stakeholders. So, uh, for instance, like um, if you're really good at building mechs and you have a lot of different parts and you have um, you have some mechs that perform really well in battle, but maybe you're not the best player in the world, right? Then you can kind of team up with somebody who's really good, but they don't have the best mechs. You can be a team together, right? And you can compete together and, and share the share the earnings together, right? Um, I think we've seen some of that in Dookie Dash as well. Um, so I think this is a concept that's going to kind of uh, live on for, for a long time. That's a, that's a great metaphor. I think it's very apt. Yeah. Maybe you're this mechanic slash architect. Maybe you're kind of also like a pit boss as well too. And you're coming in and maybe tuning up other people's mechs and just helping them to kind of tweak after they've already done it and kind of guiding them. Like there's all this other uh, support uh, roles that uh, that can come in and really make it into this kind of vibrant ecosystem and economy. That's uh, that's really uh, that's really terrific. Tell tell uh, the listeners about this sort of Web two Web three how how you uh, balance that. Uh, we have a, a very innovative approach here. We have two different versions of, of the game. So we have a Web3 version of Red League, which again is more tailored towards esports and, and competitive game events. Um, and this is for the, the mech owners, the people who own the mechs and build the mechs to compete with other owners. So there is this 
NFT requirement. You have to own a mech to participate and compete. The Web 2 version of Red League, which is going to launch early next year, uh, is a free-to-play game, which means there's no NFT requirement. You just download it off of the um, Apple App Store or Google Play or Steam or whatever, um, and you just start playing. There's no friction at all. Uh, it's got all the uh, typical features of a free-to-play game, like daily quest and um, in-game store, etc. Um, and one thing that we're doing is to bridge um, the Web3 and Web2 uh, communities. Is basically, we're going to have this store within the, the Web2 version of the game that is populated, but the, the contents that's being sold in that store is actually um, uh, cre created by the Web3 community. So what I mean is, so because of the whole Web3 version and all this stuff, you know, people are creating their own mechs and they own their mechs, right? Let's say you have a mech NFT. Um, you can actually, without selling or getting rid of your, your mech NFT, you can create copies of your, your mech as non-NFT um, game asset. Uh, and we'll get into later about the mechanism of how you, how you create copies. Um, you can't just do it infinitely and not, you know, can't, not, not, not everyone will be able to do it, but there's, there's a way for you to do it. So you can create copies of the mech. Let's say you've done a really good job and created a mech. And I told you that, you know, depending on how you create it, it fights differently. You create a mech that, that fights really well, right? You can create copies of it and publish those copies directly into, into the Web2 version store. And you do that through our platform called NMA Play. The gamers, they don't even know what happened. They just go into the game, they're playing, and they see a, an awesome mech in the store, they just buy it. Just like how we do it with the partners thing, you go in the store and buy a character. Actually, a pretty significant portion of that, that revenue uh, from that sales will go to the original owner of the mech NFT, right? Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So think about it this way. That's groundbreaking. Yeah. So what do, what do gamers want? They always complain about not having enough content, not having enough stuff to, 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 to play or purchase or whatever, right? Uh, by having this... UGC element, user-generated content element, the store will always have new content, right? So that kind of is beneficial for the gamers, right? Because there's just a lot more content that can be created by users than just us developers. Like we'll, we can create some content too, but the community will probably create the best content in my opinion. Web3 community, they love to create, you know, they own what they create and they, they like to monetize off their creations, right? So this allows that connection where we have this symbiotic relationship between the Web3 community um, who's creating the content that the, the Web2 gamer community is going to consume. So the gamers are consumers. Web3, which is usually a, a lot smaller in size, are the creators, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the relationship that we, the, between those two communities that we're trying to create here with, uh, with Rec League. Indeed, groundbreaking. I think about that scene in The Matrix when Neo touches the mirror and there's that kind of like Mercury connecting him. And then he's, you know, from The Matrix back into in the real world. You're kind of like bridging Web 2 and Web 3 in a way that I'd never even considered before. And that's that's super powerful. Everybody, everybody benefits. And then you have this kind of, you know, providence with a original NFT that's, uh, that's created and crafted by that person. And 
then they get to benefit in the in-app purchase, sharing that revenue. It's that's fantastic. Wow, love it. And then you're going to bridge more people into Web three from Web two. Once they get a taste of that, they're going to say, "Hey, wow, I want to create my own and make my own NFT and ultimately own it." Yeah, people will figure it out. You're not going to talk about it at all for the Web two version. We're never going to mention NFT or anything like that for that specific version. But the word will get out that, hey, you know what? I know you love playing that game. You can actually make your own mech. And we're like, oh, how do you do that? Well, you can do it over here at the Red Click website, you know, but you have to have these parts. And like, oh, where do you get the parts? Well, you can go to OpenSea. Like, what is open? So yeah, it, it bridges over a lot of gamers back into, into Web3 for those who do want to go, go venture into creating their own mechs. Yeah. The other thing that I love about build your own mech is you take the 10 NFTs and you still own those 10 NFTs individually. And then you mint those 10 into a mech. And then you can burn that mech later if you're like, ah, that combination I'm sick of or really hasn't worked out the way I want. And then you can mix and match and then remint again. Correct. So the the, the NFT parts that you're using to to basically assemble a mech uh, they're not burned or anything. They just get locked up um, so that it doesn't trade anymore. Um, so when you click on the assemble button, those parts are locked up, almost like staking, right? They're locked up. And then a new, a brand new mech NFT is minted. So now you have a new NFT. But if you want to swap out of a part or you don't like that mech anymore, you can click on disassemble. And what, what, what that does is it burns your mech NFT and the parts that were locked up is now unlocked and available back into your your um, your, your inventory. And by the way, that the, the parts that were locked up doesn't follow um, uh, doesn't follow the the creator. It follows the uh, the mech NFT. So if I actually built the mech and I sold it to you, uh, and you disassemble it, parts go to you as a new owner. Another yet another groundbreaking approach to creating things. I think that's super exciting, the composability. And I, I like that that mechanism of being able to assemble them and then put them into another NFT and then burn and reassemble. That's, that's actually really, really empowering. And the, the core composability of Web3 is really very much embodied in that and gives so much power back to the, back to the creator. Yeah, it, it gives um, uh, gives ability. I guess maybe the right word is uh, that power uh, to do something about your your asset um, to the owners. Because, uh, for instance, like previously, it was just a regular PFP. Uh, when you purchase an NFT, you can't really do anything. You can't do much about it. You're basically passively waiting for your NFT to maybe go up in price. And if you sold, sell it at a higher price than you purchase, then you make a profit, you make you create some value from that. Um, with projects like Red League, and I think that the beauty of kind of combining with three with gaming mechanic is that you can actively do things to, to kind of um, try to create more value from your investment, right? Because you can actively try to create a mech that plays well or a mech that the, the gamers are gonna want. Um, and then you can also take that mech and then go to these events and tournaments and actively invest in your skill to 
do well in these tournaments. And the tournaments will give you rewards that are on-chain, therefore, that contain value. Um, there's a lot more things they can do to to maximize the outcome for you rather than just passively holding it. Be the captain of your own fate and to be able to have a lot more agency within the uh, framework of the game. I think that's uh, that's empowering itself. And then there'll also be this self-expression part of it too, where, hey, maybe my, my mech isn't, you know, the uh, most uh, powerful in these areas, but it's quirky and it's, you know, it really embodies me and it's something that I've built. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. So yeah, well done. I can't uh, wait for, for that to, to launch any, anything else you'd like to add or share about the, the game to people listening that I've missed. Um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be, uh, emphasis on the lore beyond Red League. Uh, that is going, that's going to be a vehicle on how we introduce more features, more assets, um, and different type of game events going forward. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the lore? Chapter Zero, actually, is going to tell the story of how Red League is formed. Um, these kids that land on this moon that, uh, that, have, that have attracted a lot of debris, a lot of crazy parts from all of the, all of the megaverse. Um, and when they land there, they crash land there, they discover all these parts, and they decide to try to put them together into, into mechs. Right? Uh, so that's kind of uh, how things get started. And then um, there are certain characters who, who look at this and be like, okay, let's try to create a, a league, um, a fighting league using these mechs. And they bring in different type of, a different world, different different characters into this. And that's how you know, the Yugo characters get, get sucked into it. Um, so we do have that uh, uh, that connection, that bridge uh, between the regular lore and, and the, the Yugoverse lore. Uh, the Yuga, uh, Yuga Last folks, uh, for the first time, um, is kind of doing this type of visual part, uh, collaboration. They call it the Yuga, Yuga uh, the extended Yugaverse, right? They've never done this before, where their characters get involved into uh, the lore of another project. Um, so we have these, you know, characters from Yuga that's coming in, not as main characters, but side characters that support the the, the, the cast of main characters. Um, but that, the story is going to evolve into this competition becoming much bigger um, with different characters and with different stakeholders and kind of creating new new type of events. And they're going to kind of manifest as real, not, they're not going to just live in, as, live, live in the lore of story. They're going to actually happen, you know, and, and um, as actual game events and tournaments for people to participate in. And so uh, we're going to start with a simple leaderboard competition where after after we uh, do launch the game uh, and people are able to assemble the mechs, uh, they're able to go, go download the game, go into these events. And we're going to have a certain time period too, like, you know, every every day from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. or whatever, right? And they match make and they compete. You're going to earn some points for winning and lose some points for losing. And then depending on your, what your points, uh, where you where you land out with your points, you're going to be on a leaderboard. And then depending on where in the leaderboard, you will get different type of points. So that's a basic leaderboard. 
I'm gonna have like all the way up to thirty thousand people get, getting getting um, on ten rewards. But depending on where you're in the leaderboard, we're gonna invite people to like a bracket-based tournament with much bigger prize. Um, and then we're gonna have completely different type of uh, events and tournaments. And one thing that we I talked about a little bit um, on the on the Twitter space of the yacht is we're gonna have events where like you can stake your you can bet your mech. So let's say if, if you and I are in this high stakes mode, your mech Ooh. versus my mech, it's like oh. a pink flip mode. <laughs> let's say you built an oh. awesome mech with a lot of winning streaks and it's very valuable. I also built an amazing mech, right? Hey, you and I are going to go fight. Um, best out of three. Wow. Skin then, in the game. Metal in the game. Metal in the game. Yeah. So if you lose, I can take over your mech. There's an ownership. Or I could salvage and break it down and take take some of your parts. But wow, that's a big that's a flex. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> smashing that thing to parts. Wow, that's fun. That's yeah. really fun. Yeah. The loser's mech will be kind of somewhat destroyed. So the winner can take over and fix it and, and kind of um, use it again uh, by putting in more parts or assets into it. Or I could just completely break it down take some parts and then upgrade materials from it. But anyway, the so loser will be, there'll be some humiliation there because the loser will lose their mech. <laughs> and, and money too, right? I think a lot of esports, they're like, what is the model? Like, can we make this thing work, this whole esports paradigm in a sustainable way? But if you're tapping into these existing assets and players are actually staking their own assets in there, then that creates a whole nother pool of value as well too, that pulls more and more people in and, you know, broadens the whole, you know, pot, so to speak. So that's a, that's, that's a great mechanism. Yeah, the whole vision, the whole vision behind rugby league and, and, and y'all talks about this too, is that, um, yes, we're going to do some, we're going to do a whole bunch of events that's company one, developer one, uh, which is how esports works. In, in Web 2, right? Like Fortnite, World Cup, whatever. <clears throat> it's run by um, by the company. But with so many different stakeholders and owners in Web 3, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of incentives for people to hold their own tournaments, right? So we're going to have all these kind of grassroots local tournaments that, and we're going to develop the features for people to be able to kind of easily create their own tournaments. You can create a, you can create a tournament with like an entry, entrance fee of 50 eight coins or whatever and that could go into a prize pool and the winner can kind of and you can stay on you know the top three takes how many percent or whatever um so you can create your own tournaments um with actual uh prize at the end uh you can oh, it's like an old, old school land old school land party right where people are kind yeah. of peeling off and doing their own like counter-strike and i'm going to run my own server to to do yeah. that, but there's yeah. not, but there's now value connected to it. That yeah. was the challenge. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? That doesn't, that's just people playing for, you yeah. know, just face right now. Now you have both. And then uh, the high stakes mode that I talked about where you lose your mech for losing people can create their own kind of local tournaments with friends and, and you know, make sure that kind of like uh, having people throwing like a poker night together with friends, they can, you can do something like that. Um, so we're going to provide many different types of tools, many different types of tournaments. Uh, we'll, we'll weave it into our story. We'll do some ourselves and open it up for the community to, to, um, to, you know, create their own 
own game events and create their own tournaments. Um, and there's going to be special NFTs that will allow them to do that. So, yeah, so I, I did kind of hint at this on my previous um, AMA as well, but the top prizes from the leaderboard event are blueprints for something big coming on later. So these are blueprint NFTs that will later on convert into something that will give you ownership into like an arena. So imagine having an NFT. You know, NFT could be a land, right? We've seen that with Sandbox, right? Imagine having an NFT that gives you ownership to like an esports arena. Now you're an owner of an arena. And as an owner of an arena, you can actually host tournaments. You have the power to host tournaments um, and get revenue share on the revenue generated from those tournaments. So basically what we're trying to do is we're going to create franchise businesses on top of Red League. Uh, by people who own all these different uh, NFTs. Um, and those people can share in the economics and the revenue generated in this like Red League as a, as a whole ecosystem. Crazy amazing. Yes. Yes, times a thousand. People do that already now for free just because they want to. They set up university-based you know, based, uh, esport teams and they do it because they love it. And now... They can actually share in the upside and create it. And then I can't talk about it too much here, but uh, we're going to go even beyond that. There's, you know, when there's big events and things like that, there could be side, there could be businesses that support it. So beyond arenas, there could be other things. I can't, I don't know, I, I will reveal this more later, but there could be other things that allows other people to have more variety of these kind of franchise model that allows them to. Uh, to monetize and do you know, generate revenue um, off of Reg League as a game, as Reg League as an esports. Um, so I think there's could be a lot of new things that we try that, that kind of brought, that broaden the um, the market share by having people be able to take partake in a lot of that that revenue generation, but a lot of it going back to the community of owners, uh, kind of much like in the real world, there could be an owner, you know, who owns a an arena. It could be an owner who owns like a store that sells to people who are going to watch in the arena. There could be many different businesses that, you know, could exist on top of, let's say, something like NBA or MLB or whatever, right? The technologies of Web3 um, allows you to bring in kind of parallels from the real world because of that concept of ownership. There are all these new things that could that could um, that can exist in the virtual world that only exist in, in the real world. In the past. Yeah, well, well said. I can tell that you just live and breathe gaming and you've been really chipping away at this for decades. Tell our listeners if they're game creators or Web3 builders or want to be one, some of the lessons you've learned along the way, some of your trials and tribulations and what you kind of wish you knew when you were a little bit younger or what you'd like to share, please. Game development is, is so difficult. It's one of the hardest businesses. It's also very driven. Um, a lot of PCs don't like to invest in gaming because it's hard to tell whether it's going to be a hit or not. Um, some of the best game developers in the world, they say like, yeah, um, hit ratio should be like one out of 15, meaning if you make 30 games, you'll have two hits. <laughs> but in the game, when you hit, you hit big. But um, anyways, game is difficult. So... Um, 
it really has to be something that you're passionate about, right? So I was from 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 when I was young, I've always been passionate about fighting games. I was a big Tekken player and Street Fighter player. Um, if you do what you love, then you 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 can kind of withstand that difficulty. Even if you go through some failures, um, you can go through it if you're doing something uh, that you're passionate about because that's the reward. Like the actual journey is the reward rather than you're trying to chase something. Um, so I think that's kind of the story of anyway as well. Like we're a bunch of people who love fighting games, who love, who love competitive gaming. We wanted to bring that to the masses, to the, to the emerging platforms. Uh, so instead of like chasing waves, we're like over 11 years just focusing on on one thing, making uh, fighting games and competitive, like fast action competitive multiplayer games work well, right? Um, and then when the when different platforms, when different waves come, you can kind of ride that because you, you, you've you honed your skill and, and one thing you've done something um, that's difficult for somebody else to kind of copy in, in a short period of time. Uh, do what you're passionate about uh, and then grind it away for, for a long time. Um, that would be that would be my advice for people who are getting into the, the game industry. Hmm. What about some of the other things that you wish you knew about the side that you're not so passionate about? Because you're creating a product and you're creating this magic, but that has to sit on top of team and admin yeah. and marketing and other things. What are what are some of the painful lessons you learned along that way? For sure. And I see this mistake being made like all the time, even from big companies. So game development, um, similar to movie making or um, other kind of uh, artistic endeavors, is it requires a tremendous amount of uh, teamwork, uh, a team that kind of gels together. That's uh, why I think a lot of the successful um, movie creators, or even game developers, uh, once they have a team that works well, they tend to kind of stick with that team. It's not just 100% about talent. It's about really kind of having a team that um, that gels well together and work well together. So uh, one mistake that a lot of people make that it um, doesn't work in game development is like hiring hella fast. Just because you raise money, hire people or a big company who wants to game the game development, just like hire, hire, hire. We now have a team, make a game now like that. That, that rarely works. Um, you have to kind of go slowly and then um, build a team uh, after having that go through a, a few of the projects that may not even work out. Um, and then you also make a lot of mistakes in hiring and you know, after you kind of go through a few iterations. And it may take, a, you know, uh, maybe even up to five years to create a team that really gel together. What's, what's, your, what's your insight on, on hiring, how to best do that? What are some of the things that you used to do but no longer do or but now, um, now do differently? Yeah, and this is something that is really hard to do, uh, especially for founders um, who don't have that experience or founders who are good at their jobs is uh, basically hiring slow but firing fast, right? Because let's say you're a founder and you're really talented. Uh, you hire somebody and who's not working out um, because they're a good founder. You try to you try to make things work for that person. You know, like maybe he's not, maybe he or she's not uh, in the right role, or maybe I could mentor the person or whatever. Um, but ultimately, if uh, you know, if the person's 
hangs around for like a year, you know, and, and then ends up leaving. Um, it's bad for the company and also bad for the person. Like the person left within like a few weeks, they don't even have to write in their resume, right? But now that the person now had to stick around for a year, I have to kind of explain why, you know, why it didn't work out and just not good for, for that person as well. Um, so it's not intuitive. You're like the intuitive thing for most, most people are trying to fix the situation, but usually when, when, um, when things, when things are not working out, um, it might, it's actually a lot better to kind of, uh, say your goodbyes fast. And that also opens up the room for you to hire somebody else that might be a better fit. Um, so those kind of that that innovation has to be faster. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. In my experience, it's the same. Where you're right, it's not intuitive when you're trying to hire somebody. It's easy to be filling in the blanks, filling in the gaps yourself, and trying to put talents and skills into somebody that may not really be there and. Uh, but it is very intuitive once they're on board, because once they're actually on the team, then you are like, oh, wait a second. And the tough part is, yeah, sometimes you're like, hey, I could teach them to do this. But oftentimes, too, as a younger founder, you're like, I don't want to make this person feel bad. I don't I'm judging them or I'm hurting them or I'm, you know, being, uh, you know, too big for my britches or whatever. And the fact is you're doing them a disservice if you're keeping them in a role that's not suited for them. And if you can move them, great, but oftentimes you can't. And it's much better to set them free and let them thrive somewhere else. So thank you for sharing. Well said. Excellent. TK, founder and CEO of Nway. Super, super excited for your rec league launch. Wow. Kaboom town. 1.4 quadrillion combinations. And I think there's going to be an incredible dent in the universe, the multiverse, the, the megaverse that you're going to be making with this game. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. This was really enjoyable. Thank you. That's great. Thank, thanks. Thanks a ton. Wow. TK from N-Way. It should be called Y-Way. Yes, Way. This game I believe is going to be a seminal Web3 launch in so many ways. These guys are going to be a overnight Web3 success story after 20 years of grinding away and pioneering and just innovating in so many ways. Thanks so much for listening. Please comment, like, subscribe. Go to our YouTube channel, which will be in the comments. And thanks once again for listening to Founder Insights. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only. <laughs>